Where is your focus? What are the things through your day, through your week that hold the majority of your attention? Are they the things that are most important or are they simply the things that are just right in front of you? We live in a world with thousands of things constantly pulling for our attention. Our family members, our work responsibilities, our hobbies, all of these things pull and try to get us to give our focus and attention to them. There is a study that was first done in the 70s called the Marshmallow Test. If you haven't seen it, go and uh, Google it. It's really funny to watch. Basically, these little kids are given a marshmallow. It's sat right in front of them. And they're told, you can eat this whenever you want, and I'm going to go. And when I come back, if it's still here, I will give you another marshmallow. And the purpose is to see, are the kids going to focus on the immediate treat in front of them that they could just eat and it would be delicious? Or are they going to hold out for the promise of that future marshmallow? Now, a second marshmallow might not seem like a huge thing to you, but it is hilarious to watch these kids do everything in their power to look away. One guy sometimes like they'll squeeze it to feel the marshmallow. They'll smell the marshmallow. Sometimes they sing and dance to try to distract themselves from the marshmallow. And they'll do anything they can to try to get and make it to that future extra marshmallow. In your life, like these kids, do you do whatever you can to maintain focus on the things that are important? Or do you often find yourself just being caught up in, oh, this marshmallow is in front of me now, so I will just eat it. A lot of those studies went on to show that the ability to delay that gratification is one of the most important predictors to how successful these kids would be in school, in work, in relationships. Because the ability to focus on important things rather than the immediate desires sets you up for a life of success. Today we're going to read a story. This is a parable in Luke 16, where we see two different people dealing with the issues in front of them that have long-term consequences that they didn't really think about in the time. So it's starting in verse 19. It says this, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came where the beggar died and angels carried him up to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and he was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called for him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And beside between us, there is a great chasm that has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered then, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warm them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. 
He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Where is our focus? So again, this is, it's not a, a real story. These are two people that Jesus is talking about in order to communicate to this group of Pharisees and other bystanders what our goals, what our focus will lead us to. Does the focus that we have today lead us to the destination that we want in our lives? The rich man here was focused on his comfort, was focused on his lifestyle, was focused on the things that made him happy in his day-to-day -day life. The first bit of this passage really highlights the divide between Lazarus, this poor beggar, and the rich man. We hear that the rich man had purple, fine clothing. Fine linen was a really expensive type of material and purple in this time and age was usually associated with royalty because of how difficult it was to find the pigments used for making purple. It was so difficult to find and so expensive that usually only those in royalty could afford it. So this man had so much money that he was able to dress like royalty. And even as we hear about Lazarus, he was sitting at the gate. This word for gate means that this man's house, his entrance was guarded in a way that almost like a city would be guarded. The gates in front of a town or a city were in front of his own property. This is a man at the top of the top of the 1% of his day and age. On the other side, we have this guy, Lazarus, who is poor, he is begging, he is laying on the streets, he is covered in sores. Here it talks about the food that would fall from the rich man's table. Often food falling from table was meant and given to dogs. So this is the dog food that Lazarus is praying for, and yet he gets none. But the dogs who were considered unclean and diseased just roaming the streets, they actually came and took care of him. So here we see this divide between the richest of the rich and the poorest of the poor. This divide in their lives became even more significant and drastic in their death, but it's flipped upside down. Often in the Bible, as Jesus is teaching, you see this idea of an upside down kingdom, that the least will be made high and the high will be made low, that those who honor only themselves will be made to be humbled. And those who live lives of humility and giving will be elevated. And so here in this passage, we see how the beggar is carried up by angels, put beside Abraham. Abraham, who was the head of the family of Israel, who embodied what it meant to be in paradise and to be in the promises of God. Whereas the rich man was buried down in the ground that he was filled with sorrow. This place, Hades, is not meant to bring the idea of hell. In the New Testament, usually the word Gehenna is the original uh, phrase that the Hebrew people would use to describe what we would think of more as hell. Hades just means the place of the dead. So both the rich man and Lazarus are dead, but the Lazarus is with Abraham in a paradise-type space, and the rich man is in this torment-type space. This is just a story. It's not meant to be a picture of what eternity actually looks like. It's just trying to bring to our attention the importance that our decisions today have eternal consequences. And as they're going through this, we see the, the rich man 
calls out to Abraham saying, Father Abraham. Why does he say father? Because he is a Jewish person. He's looking up and seeing Lazarus, a Jew, sitting beside Abraham, the head of the Jewish family, nation, lineage. And he's saying, why am I down here? Well, you are up there. And here Jesus is speaking to this group of Pharisees, many of whom would have heard his cousin John the Baptist when he first started his messages. He spoke to these same types of people and he told them, you wicked vipers. Not the nicest way to talk to some people. He said, who warned you to come to escape the future wrath? And he tells them that calling to Abraham as your father does not mean that you are in right standing with God, that we have to produce fruit in our lives that actually shows that we are repentant and that we are following God. So here Jesus is using this phrase, Father Abraham, to the same group of people to be like, remember what John told you. If your life does not line up with what you say you believe, then maybe you don't believe it in the first place. And so in this upside down kingdom, we see Lazarus and the rich man living lives that were completely different. And yet in death, this little divide of just finances becomes an increasingly giant and impassable chasm. Where the rich man who, he didn't even do anything terrible. It doesn't say, oh, he was a terrible thief or murderer. The heart of this story is to teach us that a life lived in selfish indulgence at the expense of expressing and helping and being a benefit to those in need is a life that eventually will lead us to a space of torment. Maybe that in this story is eternity, eternity living with those consequences. But I know in my years in relationships, a lot of time it leads to a chasm or torment, even in your family, in your workplace. I've had friends who a little decision leads to another little decision, leads to another little decision, and all of a sudden they are living in a dishonest way in their workplace and they end up losing their job, losing their house. Often we can convince ourselves that these little decisions we make are just that, little decisions. It's just a couple drinks to help me get through the night. Everybody forgets to scan something at the self-checkout. It's just drinks with a colleague. What could possibly go wrong? Nobody will ever know. I'm a good person. I go to church. I speak kindly to my neighbors and to my family. And we have these boxes that we use to justify these selfish choices that we can make. And so here I think the point that Jesus is trying to make to these people, to this group of Pharisees, is that God wants all of us. The Pharisees often thought that because they had such a deep academic understanding of the teachings of Moses, that they could be over here and be rich and wealthy and greedy and selfish. Well, but we believe all these things. And we can even teach all of these things. And we know what to say. We know the answer. And yet their life did not reflect their belief. Their life did not reflect their understanding. And so Jesus looks at them and says, you can't have it both ways. In the passage just before this, it says you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both money and God. And I think these little choices can become bigger and bigger and bigger, even just in life the earlier we catch these negative choices, the earlier we catch these patterns, 
And sometimes it requires the help of a trusted friend or a pastor or a leader, a family member who can speak into our life and say, this thing that you are doing is not good and it is not going to lead you where you want to go. Where is your focus? I know in the first year of marriage, my wife and I took a vacation. We drove from Ontario all the way up to visit some of my family in Labrador. And along the journey, we took some wrong turns in Montreal. If you've driven in Montreal, the roads there are awful. It's a beautiful city, lots of great things to do there. Roads awful. I think everyone who lives there would agree. And so as we're going through, we ended up detoured and we ended up going out a different way than we came in. But I knew the area well enough and thought, you know what, it's fine. We'll just keep going. Hours later, we stopped for a meal. And I realized the town we were in, I didn't really recognize. And I started texting my uncle, who does this drive multiple times a year. And he didn't recognize the town either. And when I looked it up on a map, finally connected to Wi-Fi, pulled up some stuff, I realized that we were on the wrong side of this little river called the St. Lawrence. We were supposed to go along the north side and go up into Labrador, but in our misdirection, we had ended up on the south side. And if I had noticed this early on, I could have just taken a little bridge in Quebec City and crossed and corrected my path. But now after hours and hours and hours of driving, the option was either to add a whole nother day to the journey or do what we ended up doing, which was to board a sketchy little ferry to take us across the St. Lawrence at one of the wider points. I'm not going to lie, at the beginning, I didn't know if we were going to make it across in one piece. But the nice Frenchman allowed us on to his boat and we did make it across and eventually made up for the time that we had lost. The longer we go, the further we go into our path of wrong choices, the more it will cost us to get back out of it. And if you're having something in your mind, you're like, oh, I know this thing that I've been doing is wrong. I would encourage you to do something about it today because in 20 years, you will lose so much more than you will right now. And often to make up for our mistakes, it costs us something. But what it costs you today will be so insignificant to what it will cost the longer you let it go on. In Galatians 5 verse 6, it says this, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And so here, Paul reminds us of this, this thing, the heart of what Jesus is saying here that it is our actions expressing the love of God that matter more than simply following or not following a rule. Where are our hearts at? Where is our focus? Are we looking at ourselves, our needs, our desires, or are we looking at what God is calling us to do? The rich man calls again and asks for his family to be notified of this impending doom. And if you scroll down to the, the bottom, the response is they have Moses. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. They didn't physically have Moses and the prophets. Those guys had been long dead, but they had the writings and the teachings. And what Abraham here is saying is if we read the scriptures and we choose to ignore it, even someone coming back from the dead will not be enough to convince us. I'm sure as Luke is writing this down, the words of Jesus, he sees the irony in it that Jesus, as he's teaching this, knows what is going to happen. 
knows that he, Jesus, is going to die and come back. And there will still be people who ignore his message. And so here in this story, it says it is not enough to just ignore these teachings. It is not enough to just push everything aside. You will also ignore the miraculous signs that will come. Because when we have decided that we don't want God messing up our lives, when we've decided that our comfort and convenience and the way that we do things is where we're going to stay, no matter how big or small the message is, we will find a way to justify ignoring it. They have Jesus right in front of them. And they ignore him and mock him and kill him. Here they're saying, you have Moses and the prophets. Who will you serve? Who will you listen to? Who will you allow to hold your focus? We can only have one master, one primary thing that can be the guiding principle in our lives. There's so many passages throughout scripture, especially in the teachings of Jesus, that elevate the fact that we are supposed to care for those in need. That our core of our focus as followers of his, a core fruit that comes out of being followers of his, is actually laying down our needs, laying down our resources, laying down our time to help those who are struggling. In Matthew, we hear this story about the sheep and the goats, where it basically lays out that the entirety of the authenticity of our faith is weighted in how we treat those who are at the bottom of society. Where is your focus? Is it on you, on the things that make your life better, or is it on what God is calling you to do with the time and the resources that he has blessed you with? We're gonna close with the words of Moses and the prophets, because that's what Abraham in this story tells us to do. So here's something Moses says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourselves. The prophet Jeremiah said, this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast in their wisdom or the strong boast in their strength or the rich boast in their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, righteousness on earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Do you need to correct your focus today? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can go through all the things that Jesus taught, not just the good things that encourage us, but the hard things that challenge us to reflect on the lives that we are living. God, I pray for everyone who is listening, that you would speak to their hearts if there are things that they are holding on to that you want them to release to you. May you soften our hearts so that we are willing to give you the things that you ask, so that we are willing to give you all of us, the good, the bad, the broken, the finances, our belongings, maybe we lift them to you and allow you to use them to bless those around us. God, I pray that we would never cling to things as if they are ours, but that we would remember that everything we have is a gift that you have given us. Thank you for all of the things that you have blessed us with. Continue to watch over, bless, and care for each of us, that we would not allow the little divides and choices in our lives to become a giant chasm that separates us from you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>